If you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to Ecclesiastes, an Old Testament book, which you'll find if you turn to Psalms and then Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to be looking at this book uh, through the late summer and fall uh, up till Advent season. Uh, and um, I'm very excited uh, to be able to come to this, this book and to be able to explore its message to us. And there's so many things I'd love to tell you in advance, but we'll uncover most of them as we work our way along. The one thing I just simply mentioned at the outset, we don't really have a clear sense who wrote um, Ecclesiastes. Uh, the, the book opens with, as we'll see, the, the words of the preacher. Um, that word preacher is translating the Hebrew word koholeth. Um, koholeth can be translated in a variety of ways, um, like uh, teacher, preacher, collector. Um, and it could be that this preacher took um, Solomonic wisdom, proverbs and sayings and messages that were in the guise of Solomon uh, or written during the reign of Solomon. Um, he certainly identifies himself in certain points with Solomon. Um, but decides to produce this, this message for us in these 12 chapters of this book under a kind of alias of sorts, Koholeth, or preacher. So we'll, we'll follow his lead week by week and call him the preacher, but the preacher has a message for us about life under the sun, um, and he desires for us to, to look at life clearly, not as we wish it to be, but as it actually is, so they might tr- teach us what true wisdom looks like which is living in the fear of the Lord, living with our eyes fixed on God, knowing that God has his eyes fixed on us. But in order for that to happen for us this morning, we need not just to hear the preacher, but we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we do come asking for your help this morning. We, we desire to hear the words of the ancient preacher uh, through this, the voice of this very modern preacher. But Lord, we know that all too often that the, the things that we desire to hear are actually human words. Lord, may what we hear today be the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would open our eyes of faith, our hearts, our minds, so that we might see glorious riches stored up for us in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain? By all the toil at which he toils under the sun. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new, and has already been in the ages before us? 
There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read which yet survive. Slumped on the, stamped on the lifeless things, the, the hand that mocked them, and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look at my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Of course, many of you know that poem. That's, that's Ozymandias by uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley. It, it's the staple of elementary classrooms or junior high English classes. Most of us, I reckon, probably had to memorize it at one time or another. But what gives that sonnet power is, is Shelley's description of, of the comeuppance to human pretension and hubris and power. Ozymandias doesn't simply stand for a Middle Eastern ruler in some far-gone age. No, no, Ozymandias is us. He stands for each one of us who attempts to build kingdoms for ourselves. We proclaim loudly to ourselves and to others, look at my works. But all successive generations see are, are lone and level sands stretching far away. Welcome to life under the sun. We have all sorts of ways of describing it, don't we? The rat race, the, the, the dog-eat-dog world, the daily grind, climbing the corporate ladder, pushing the rock up the hill. None of these descriptors is particularly hopeful, is it? And truth be told, for, for many of us, we wonder if, if what we spend so much time so much of our lives doing, we wonder if it has any value, any, any profit, any purpose at all, because we wash the same dishes over and over again. We wash the same clothes. We, we clean the same rooms. We, we drive the same carpool over and over again. We deal with the same clients the same petty concerns, the same inner office politics. We, we dream and plan and build only to have the next generation dream their own dreams and build their own buildings and organizations in ways that look different from ours. And then, as we know, our kids grow up, we retire, we begin to feel our bodies breaking down, we get sick, and then we die. It's, it's no wonder that modern philosophers following the lead of the existentialists from the 1950s, Albert Camus, they, they've concluded that there is no meaning in life under the sun. That when you look at life, it's, it's fundamentally absurd. And when we turn our eyes and ears to the preacher of Ecclesiastes, what we find is that he seems to agree with those who believe that life is, is meaningless, is absurd, is vanity. 
In this introductory statement, which contains many of the themes of this book, we find that the preacher doesn't dress up life under the sun. Rather, he he forces us to look at it with a clear-eyed realism. Why does he do this? Why does the preacher describe life under the sun so starkly? I think he's doing this for us because he's trying to teach us what true biblical wisdom looks like. And in order to do so, he has to help us see life, life under the sun, not as we wish it to be, but as it actually is. We have to see life realistically. Because our problem is is that we expect both too much and too little from life in this world. On the one hand, we expect too much. We, we look to our marriages, our family, our work, our, our vacations, our hobbies, our diversions to provide meaning and purpose for us. But we know, especially for those of us who have a few miles on us, we know these things cannot do that. They can't bear that kind of weight. But on the other hand, we expect too little from life under the sun. Because by viewing the stuff of this life as all there is, we fail to see God in our moments. Grace in both our pleasures and our pains. And his fatherly care in giving us our daily bread. Is there any line in the Lord's Prayer that we feel more disconnected to than give us this day our daily bread? And so what we're going to find, I think, week by week as we work our way through Ecclesiastes is this. Apart from God, life under the sun, nothing matters there. There is no profit, there is no advantage in all our toil apart from God. But for those who live in the fear of the Lord, those who've come to know Jesus Christ, who live out of the love of Jesus for them, for you, because you live this way, everything matters. Everything matters. Because every part of our lives is gift, is grace. And God gives gifts to lead us to the giver. God shines his sun down into our lives under the sun so that we might trace the sunbeam back to the sun. Friends, this is so vital for us because everything about our lives and about our world is passing. Our lives are passing. What does the preacher say? Oh, this is probably the most familiar part of Ecclesiastes. Verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now, that that word vanity is a difficult word to get our hands around. Um, the, The original word here in Hebrew literally means breath or vapor, smoke, perhaps. It's, it's like the fog that... that requires the sun to burn it away but once it does no one remembers the fog it's it's gone it's it's evaporated and so the word means to communicate that which is ephemeral that which lasts just a short while and that's how that word is used elsewhere in the bible for example in psalm 39 verse 5 we are told behold you have made my days a few handbreadths And my life is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere breath. There's the word. Mere breath. It's fleeting. Again, Proverbs 31 verse 30 tells us this. Charm is deceitful and beauty is 
vain. It's fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so it is. Life under the sun is fleeting. It's ephemeral. It seems to last just for a moment. We blink and then it's gone. And we know this. At least we know it when we're most honest with ourselves. The, the country superstar Kenny Chesney about 10 years ago sang just about this. He's saying, don't blink. Just like that, you're six years old and you take a nap and you wake up and you're 25 and your high school sweetheart becomes your wife. Don't blink. You might just miss your babies growing like mine did, turning into moms and dads. Next thing you know, your better half of 50 years is there in bed and you're praying God takes you instead. Trust me, friend. A hundred year go, years goes faster than you think. Don't blink. Don't blink. Why? Because life is passing. It's ephemeral and it's also elusive. We think we can control our lives, but we really can't. We, we think that life, or at least we tell ourselves that life is really a matter of inputs and outputs. What we put into life is what we get out of life. But then things come into our lives that demonstrate that all our attempts to manipulate and to position and to control and to connive are ultimately pointless. Like when we, we save for our retirement and we've invested for 30 years and we finally are able to come to our retirement day and then three weeks after we retire, we're diagnosed with cancer. Or, or we've plotted and planned throughout college and throughout graduate school to end up in this particular career track, and we end up in the middle of that track. We've been in for 20 years, we've got 20 more years to go, and we realize we really don't like our job, and we really don't care for the people we work with. Or when we try to raise our children according to our sense of right or wrong, only to discover, after a series of years, they have minds and wills of their own. And then they decide they're going to pick up on our values rather than on our words. And they go their own way. And it's in those times we shout out with the preacher, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. We can't control it. Life under the sun is passing. It's ephemeral. It's elusive. And so we wonder in these times when we begin to see life as it actually is, where's the prophet? Where's the advantage in this life? I mean, that's the key question here. It's what the preacher immediately asks in verse 3. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Now, that, that word that the ESV has there as gain actually is the Hebrew word for it to remain over or to be left over. And so it's a word that, that could mean surplus or net profit. In other words, after all of the inputs and all of the outputs, is there anything left over? Is there anything of value? What's the net profit? Well, the answer that the, the preacher gives to that question isn't, isn't very encouraging. He first points to creation to demonstrate how life under the sun seems to continue in this endless, monotonous cycle. You see it in verse 4? A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north. Around and around goes to the wind, and on its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. 
There they flow again. Here the preacher invokes the, the four building blocks of nature. Earth, wind, fire, water. And he shows how they continue on in their courses without being much affected by the toil of human beings. A generation comes, a generation goes, but these elements of nature, these elements of creation, they seem to continue unaffected. And so the earth appears to remain forever, even through the generations. The sun rises and goes down and does the same thing day after day after day. The wind and weather patterns, they come with regularity. There might be seasons of drought, and yet you wait a few years and you end up in seasons of flood. And the rain flows. It, it comes. It Rain comes and it flows into the streams, where it flows into the rivers, where it flows into the oceans. We get caught back up into the clouds and it begins the process all over again. And nothing that human beings do seems to affect these building blocks of nature, these building blocks of creation. Though various wonders of the world seem to stand, even these are lost to history eventually. But, but earth, wind, fire, water, they remain. And in human history, seems to have the same cycles. The human story viewed from one angle, it's the same story age after age after age. It's the story of greed and, and hubris, as the preacher says in verse um, Verse 8, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. Of course, there's, there's multiple attempts to do new things, new buildings, new books, new theories, new explanations, new diets, new spiritualities, new this, new that. But such belief in the new and improved is actually a failure to pay attention to history itself. The preacher tells us in verse 9, there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it said, see, this is new? What's well, already been in the ages before us? Of course, our, our failure to even pay attention to history mirrors past generations' failure to pay attention and will be duplicated in future generations. In verse 11, he says, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet uh, to be among those who come after. And while there are a few antiquarians among us who love history, I'm one of those, of course, even our telling of history is never remembered adequately or accurately. The stories that we tell are always selective, always biased, always fallible. And so the preacher has us look at both creation and history. And as we do so, it seems we have an answer to our question. The question of verse 3 is, is there any profit? Is there any profit to our toil and labor in this life under the sun? And the answer to that question, looking at creation history, seems to be no. There is no profit. But there is another answer, at least an expanded version. I think it's implicit in what the preacher has been telling us all along. And that answer runs something like this. No, there is no profit. There's no surplus. There's no advantage in our toil under the sun. But to look for this, to look for advantage or, toy, uh, or, or surplus or profit is actually to look to our toil for that which it cannot give. You see, the preacher wants us to question our basic assumption about our lives in this world. 
He wants us to question the way we think about life under the sun so that we will begin to reframe our lives around a different and larger purpose. Because as Christians, we believe that there is a higher purpose for our lives than simply being toilers and consumers of products as they're produced. Rather, we were made for eternity. We're going to hear it in chapter 3. You have put eternity in our hearts. And because we were made for eternity, we've learned to look to Jesus Christ where we found solid joys and lasting treasures. But at the same time, having been made for eternity, we were also made for this earth to enjoy this world as those who are able to lift our eyes from the gift to the giver, who are able to live life under the sun by seeing the sunbeams and tracing the sunbeam back to the sun. C.S. Lewis observed the difference between looking along the sunbeam and and treating the sunbeam as all there is. He he wrote this, "I, I was standing today in a dark tool shed, The sun was shining outside, and through the the crack at the top of the door, there came a sunbeam. And from where I stood, the beam of light with the specks of dust floating in it was the most striking thing in the place. Everything else was almost pitch black. I was seeing the, the beam, not seeing things by it. Then I moved so that the beam fell on my eyes. Instantly, the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed and above all, no beam. Instead, I saw framed in the irregular um, cranny at the top of the door, green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside and beyond that, 90 million odd miles away, the sun. You see, looking along the beam and looking at the beam are very different experiences. And of course, that's right. All too often, we live our lives here under the sun and we look at the sunbeam and we, we, we come to believe that the sunbeam is all there is. And so our work and our vacations, our, our children and their schooling, their activities, football and hunting, parties and outings, the sunbeam, all there is. But friends, there's, there's more to this life under the sun. The sunbeam these good gifts from God, and they are good gifts from God. They're meant to lead us to the Son. They're meant to lead us to Jesus. They're meant to lead us to a life of bold purpose and true gain. So what is our true purpose? What is true profit? What's real gain? Well, here it is. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Do you see? If if you have Jesus... If you have a real, vital, continued relationship with Jesus, then as we'll see throughout this book, you'll have his gifts as well. You'll have a clear purpose, a clear mission, because you'll recognize that all of these gifts, the gift of today, the gift of toil, the the gift of good work, the gift of food and drink, the gift of a spouse, all of that, all of that's for Jesus' sake. They're good gifts that are meant to lead you to the giver. 
They're beams from the sun that are meant to lead you back to the sun. But friend, if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have a real, vital, continued relationship with him, then all you have is is your toil of life under the sun. You're striving and seeking to gain. And what does that leave you with? Well, hear what Jesus says. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Do you see? It's either the gifts or the gifts lead you to the giver. It's either the sunbeam of life under the sun that leads you to the sun or the sunbeam's all you have. Which is it for you? Do you have Jesus and in him all his good gifts? Or do you simply have that which is a chasing after the wind? Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we would be those who would have all of these gifts, knowing that they are gifts that are meant to lead us to you, that we would be all for Jesus. Um, As we're going to sing, worldlies have their their gems of beauty, uh, all their gilded toys of dust. But Lord, we we desire you. You You're our treasure. You're our trust. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that as we see what life is under under the sun, that you would lead us by the hand once again to yourself. Jesus, that you would be all in all for us. Lord, grant us this, we ask. We ask it in your name. Amen.